0: Welcome back to Certainly Sales Sports on Converged Media. It is great to be back in the studio here with you. Uh, we're back into the month of December. Uh, I've got my phone handy in case anything happened something happened. I was prepared for this exact moment. We're in this part of the year where uh, different teams are in their respective offices, and some managers have winter meetings coming up, a trade or something of that could happen at any moment. Which I've got to be alert for. Uh the sounders are in their respective offseason right now. So uh, a lot of things can happen, and we've got sounders off season. So things tend to happen during the show. The Russell Wilson trade happened during the show, the Leonard Williams trade happened 10 minutes after the show. Got done recording. Uh, the A score just Winker deal took place while we were here in the studio. So you, you never know. We just gotta roll with it. That's how this works sometimes. But we'll start. As we do always, in order, uh, starting off with our Seattle Seahawks, who have not been on the best sort of track as of late, falling on the road uh, at the Dallas Cowboys by a score of 35 and 41 Seattle This came out pretty well, had things going strongly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Got some nice production of DK Metcalf in the first half. Uh, but defensively really couldn't stop. The Dallas team that had scored over 40 points in their Thanksgiving game against Washington, um, and it's looked pretty strong offensively for most of the season. Uh tough one here, Seattle lost three straight, and, and they're out of the playoff picture at the current moment. They're third now in the NFC West with the Rams beating the Browns yesterday. Uh, things are frustrating. Seattle has shown that they can go off with just about anybody to league to large. Embarrassed by the 49ers for Thanksgiving. Um, uh, but they put up a good fight against Dallas. It should have beat Dallas. Uh, but their their own mistakes the are continuing to hold Seattle back. So talking about DK Metcalf, he's obviously our offensive player. Gained six receptions, 134 yards on the day, and three touchdowns. Got the hat trick for DK there, including a 73 yarder early into this game that got Seattle on the board first, uh, got by uh Defensive back to Ron Bland, who actually leads uh, the NFL in pick sixes this year and has the uh, NFL record for most pick sixes in a single season. Uh, DK had his way with Bland in this game, uh, but ultimately couldn't single-handedly will his team uh, to a victory. But you saw sort of the offensive potential of what the DK Metcalf would bring, size, speed, uh, just that playmaking after the catch has been so big. And you saw that fully on display in this game. This wish it could have been a victory. On I mean, the defensive side of the ball, you know, I talked about this in our game reaction to this game, but Jeron Reed is a signing that I was a little bit cautious about in this past offseason, uh, given sort of a lack of production in his time away uh, in recent years from the Seahawks. But this year he's been a baller inside of that line for Seattle. And that included this game against uh, Dallas line that historically, in the last few years at least, has been really good and has helped pave the way for that Cowboys offense this season. has been some good. Jeron Reed in this game, uh, seven total tackles, four solo, one sack, two tackles for loss, and two QB hits. So he was giving the Cowboys line a little bit of trouble in this game. With uh, the troubles that the Seahawks have had, getting that defensive line play is big. And so Gerron Reed's play was a nice factor. Again, like the DK, we wish it would have come to victory. Uh the enact list wasn't necessarily surprising. Uh Diaz kind of had something that bothered him later in the week, uh, even though this was a Thursday game, so later means earlier than yeah, present the present week. Um, Tiff Walker was again not able to go. He is uh, a week to see for this week as well against the 49ers. Uh Garifio also not available in- more of your key little suspects on the inactive list uh looking at pre-game day injury related notes abe lucas was able to return from injured reserve and he wants uh splitting time effectively uh with jason peters at right tackle as they try to build him back up on the same day november 30th as that game and as Abe lucas getting in from injured reserve offensive guard phil haynes uh was placed on injured reserve unfortunately as he is dealing with an injury there uh, sort of on and off of the course of this season. Additionally, wide receiver Cody Thompson, as a result of the effort going on the enacted list, uh, was elevated from the practice law. There's only one injury that came out of this loss to Dallas.
1: especially I say only
0: one, like it done. Uh, The linebacker Jordan Brooks left the game with an ankle injury. It was initially uh, listed that he would come back as probable, but later as that game went on, it was ruled really as doubtful. Uh, the only sort of updates that we've gotten at this current point of time as Monday from Pete Carroll on Brooks is that he sprained his ankle, but the team does not yet know the severity of that sprained ankle, which can be uh, uh, more of a clear timeline on Brooks in his recovery. Uh, Ken Walker could be back this upcoming week, as I mentioned, and running back Zach Charbonnet suffered a bruised knee in this game. It does sound like he avoided any sort of serious injury, thankfully. Uh, but Seattle's already banged up, obviously, running back with Walker out. That leaves you with DJ Dallas and rookie Kenny McIntosh. It's a little bit surprising that McIntosh didn't get any real carries or action in the against Dallas, uh, considering that Walker's out and uh, McIntosh had just come back in after uh, being under the reserve. So, tough situation at the running back position. But overall, I mean, this loss against Dallas is another example of Seattle beating themselves. There's a lot of talk about the officiating in this game and the issues with that, the numerous flags in this one, but Seattle could come into this game as the most penalized team in the National Football League. So discipline and execution are things that Seattle has struggled with throughout the course of the year. That's nothing new. You can't blame the referees for this one. And while the Seahawks did talk about those penalties, it's not the main reason that they lost this game. That's not – you can't blame it on that. At the end up blaming the referees uh, for your losses, you're not going to go very far. At the end of the day, um, there's just a lot of execution down the stretch. The last three drives for Seattle uh, ended in them failing to convert on fourth down. A few of those on fourth and short. Uh, going back to the Rams game, it was an instance of failing to execute on third and short at points in that game later in the second half. The play calling wasn't bad. Talk a little bit about the respective play calling throughout the last few weeks and throughout the course of the season for the Seattle offense, for Dana Shane Waldron, you know, trying to adjust to having uh, a maligned offensive line, an offensive line that swish a lot of guys in and out. Uh, at the end of the day, you have to be able to work around that, all the other plays around it, get the ball out of, you know, his so hands quicker, uh, work the running game around that. And they haven't really done that until this game against Dallas, and against Dallas it worked. They looked in the screens. They were able to get the ball out quicker. Uh, Gino had some more success in one of his better games of the year uh, with, with the touchdowns there and the rushing touchdown as well. Uh, but it's those late game moments, those timely possessions where you need to make that extra play, keep the drive alive, kill some more clock, or maybe even get three more three points when you don't get any. That would have helped Seattle win this game. Ultimately, they weren't able to execute in those crunch time moments. And you see they've got another loss here. They're out of the playoff picture at this current moment in time. They're third in NFC West. The Rams have overtaken them. They're second in NFC West. I'm not saying that the Seattle team should necessarily be up there with the 49ers, with the Eagles in the upper echelon of NFC, NFC teams right now. But they've shown against this good Dallas team, this Dallas team that if the Eagles weren't uh, a two-loss team could easily be up at the top of the conference. They put up a good fight against Dallas and should have beaten Dallas. But it's these self-inflicted things that they continue to hurt the CR to continue to hold themselves back. You know, you know it's number one, if you're able to beat yourself, and you should be there. The Washington Huskies hashtag this year has been us against us. If you take care of your respective job, then you should handle themselves. Seattle hasn't always done that for the course of this year, even in the wins they've gotten. That's been a little bit of a question one. You look at that Washington, the Cleveland game, the Arizona game. It's, it's a lot of self-inflicted uh, and when it's when you see the execution and the discipline as two of the more, I mean, two of the primary issues for why a team is struggling, it makes it even more frustrating.
1: It was a lack of talent, if it was injuries, sure you know you can give some leeway there, you can give some more patience, but when it's discipline and lack of execution on your own team, the frustration mounts, and I can get why you know a lot of people are questioning, do we even want to try and go to the playoffs this year because you know uh, sea Seattle's, Seattle's not even in a spot to do that right now, so I don't even know if we can have that conversation so Yeah, that's that's where this team sits. I mean, it's it's tough. You're you're 0-2 in the midst of this four-game stretch that's very brutal. San Fran, Dallas, San Fran again, and then Philly, four of the four, three of the best teams in the entire conference. Um you you didn't put up much of a fight at all against the 49ers at home on Thanksgiving. So it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of hope for this upcoming week against the 49ers excuse me, in their home building after they coming off of a loss where they manhandled that Philadelphia Eagles team that was a one-loss team coming into that game. So it's tough. But considering what we've seen from the Seattle team, if they're able to continue to adjust on offense, getting the ball out quicker, uh, utilizing their position players, their skill players, and putting them into space, trying to avoid the issues that they're having on the offensive line, (laughs) cutting down on the penalties and the discipline there, They can arguably go up against anybody, but until they do that, we don't know what that would look like. You know, They're not realizing their full potential. They haven't realized their full potential yet, and I don't know if they will this season. Good teams adjust. The Seahawks are slowly adjusting this season, and it might be too slow for them before the season comes to an end. I would rather not talk about it at the end of the offseason as if they didn't adjust. I would rather talk about the adjustments that they made and the turnaround that took place, but we'll have to see what happens in reality um speaking Of that Eagles game. Uh, It was announced on the 30th of November that the team's week 15 matchup at home against the Philadelphia Eagles had been flexed into Monday Night Football on ESPN. This is the first time ever that the NFL has flexed a game uh, into Monday Night Football. The Seahawks will have three primetime games in a row and four overall uh, on the current season, including that Giants game, uh, which is the other Monday Night game uh, earlier into the season when Devon Witherspoon made his Mark. So uh, another <laughs> a, a big test against one of the best teams in the conference on national television yet again. So Seattle's really been put in the spotlight as of late. Um, three of that, as I mentioned, that four game stretch, that really tough four game stretch, three of those games will be on primetime. Uh, it's not going to get any easier for Seattle. They very much, if they want to get better, they have the best to go through. Um, and again, I mentioned they, they, if the necessary adjustments are made, they could hang with the best, but it's up to them to actually put that into motion and make that a reality, put those actions into place. So at the current moment, the Seahawks sit at a six and six record, their third in the NFC West at this current point in time behind the 49ers team that they're going to play, uh, this upcoming season, this, wow, this upcoming week, um, And behind the rams who they got swept by in those two games this week so not the best uh but you're gonna play a 49ers team that if you can get a win against will be big not only obviously for your record going forward but maybe for morale considering the rivalry there with the san francisco team um and just for your season you need a win you've lost three in a row and you're out of a playoff spot right now so a win could really do you some big favors it's just up for you to go out there and seize the opportunity that sits right in front of you. So speaking of seizing the opportunity that sits right in front of you, I still am checking to see if any trades have taken place. Nope. So nothing yet with the winter meetings, but we're going to keep an eye on that because you never know. I don't need another Eugenio Suarez trade to drop on me while we're doing this. So we'll keep an eye on that uh, throughout the course of the show today uh, because, again, the winter meetings, you never know. I didn't expect uh, what happened last night uh sunday evening to take place uh, but it did so we talked about it last week with the mariners trading eugenio suarez to the arizona diamondbacks for relief pitcher carlos vargas and catcher zebi zavala this week sunday evening uh, as i prepared for today's show the mariners swung a trade uh i was actually taking a nap and i woke up to all this news uh just, I guess I should never take a nap. The Mariners have traded three players and some cash to the Atlanta Braves for two right-handed pitchers, largely unproven right-handed pitchers. Um, so as you can see, outfielder Jared Kalnick, left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez, who was the longest tenured Mariner um, before this trade, uh, and first baseman Evan White have all been traded to the Atlanta Braves, an Atlanta Braves team that uh, had a really strong... Regular season last year, but failed to do much in the playoffs this past season, um, and won a World Series not too long ago. Plus, four point five million dollars uh, in cash considerations are all going to Atlanta in exchange for right-handed pitchers Jackson Kowar and right-handed pitcher Cole Phillips. Uh, there's some potential. We'll talk about the two pitchers that the Mariners are acquiring first. Kowar is 27. He appeared in 23 games, which is a career high for him. With the Royals this season, all of them being in a relief capacity, posting a two and record with 29 strikeouts over the course of 28 innings. He's appeared in parts of three seasons with Kansas city over the course of the 2021 to 2023 seasons. He was a first round selection back in 2018. Uh, he was involved in a trade uh, about a month ago between Atlanta and Kansas city on November 17th. So, he's already been on the move once this offseason. season. He's got some good stuff. He just can't locate the zone very well. Kansas city tried to get that to work and they couldn't maybe, maybe it's up to the Mariners pitching factory to do something like that. Um, but, We'll we'll just have to see there. Um, And Cole Phillips is interesting. Uh, He's 20 years old. He was selected in the second round of the 2022 drafts by Atlanta. Uh, He was ranked the Braves' seventh overall prospect uh, by MLB.com and number eight by Baseball America prior to this trade. He has not appeared in a pro game yet after he underwent Tommy John surgery back in April of twenty two prior to the draft so there's some questions there he should be good to go by spring training though uh he's got a good fastball it looks talented it should be a good arm but obviously it it's not always a guarantee coming off of tommy john surgery Um, And then on the Mariners side of things, I mean, Jared Kalanick had started to put things in the beginning, put things together in the beginning of uh, this past year, has shown flashes of what he can do for the Mariners, a great defensive player in the outfield for Seattle, obviously very intense. We all know the story of kicking the cooler and breaking his foot that uh, gained him a lot of good and bad press. Marco Gonzalez has, has been amazing for the Mariners in his time here. Out of Gonzaga, very involved in the community around the Seattle area, ranks 8th in manner's history in wins, tied for 7th in starts, 10th in strikeouts, and 10th in quality starts. Just a big, big innings eater for Seattle. He did battle injuries this past year with a left forearm strain uh, being placed on the 15-day aisle back in June on the third before ultimately being transferred to the 60 day on July 26th and having to shut things down with a rare injury in his throwing arm. Uh, So that was really hard for uh, Gonzalez and Ultimate Willie was part of the reason why we saw players like Bryce Miller and Brian Wu come up to make their MLB debuts. Um, Evan White Evan White struggled. He he won a gold glove at the first base position back in 2020. Began the season this past year with A Tacoma, but only played in two games before being recalled and placed on the 60-day IL back on April 9th. Just hasn't been able to stay healthy. He did sign a six-year deal with the Mariners uh, back in 2019 before winning that gold glove, showed power, uh, just struck out a lot, and ultimately just hasn't been able to stay healthy enough um, in order to work on those issues. So, And then the fact that the Mariners sent $4.5 million over to the Braves points to this being largely a payroll dump move. In a quote from the Mariners' official release regarding this news, Jerry Apoto, president of baseball operations, said... As we continue to work through this offseason with the goal of improving our team in 2024 and beyond, we believe the addition of Cower and Phillips as well as the roster and payroll flexibility created tonight will move us closer to that goal. So I don't have a lot of answers for you with this one. Um, I, I can give you ideas of what's potentially happening here. I mean, obviously you talk about payroll flexibility. This largely with everything considered, uh, frees up about 20 to $24 million for the Mariners in payroll flexibility. That's not insignificant. I mean, if you look at the cur- course of the offseason now, by not qualifying to Oscar Hernandez, by trading away Eugenio Suarez, and by now trading away Jared Kelnick to get rid of the contracts of Evan White and Marco Gonzalez, you dump a lot of strikeouts. There's a lot of strikeouts gone there. That is something that the Boto talked about. Uh, at the end of the pro, uh, end of the season press conference, uh, just a few months ago, is getting rid of those strikeouts, but it feels very extreme that they're doing so. I get that Eugenio Suarez's bat speed was really going down, and offensively, it just didn't kind of seemed like his progression offensively was going off of a cliff. He still played all 162 games for you. He still played Gold Glove defense on the hot corner. It was a fan favorite, which doesn't tend to matter anymore. Um, Jared Kalnick, I mean. Still a really young outfielder. Has shown power, speed, great defensive play in the outfield. Um, I mean, Marco, I can understand it. I don't know if there's going to be a place in the rotation for him next season. Evan White, I get as well. But shipping him off, Jared Collins now been involved in two trades over the course of his career where he was part of a trade that somehow involved a salary dump. <laughs> so it's tough. It's tough. It's really tough because on one hand, you wonder... Why is this happening? You wonder if there is a big deal that's going to come for the Mariners during these winter meetings, which hasn't happened yet. So thankfully that Um, maybe you're still in the running for Shohei Otani, but I don't feel too comfortable Believing in that, uh, just giving off of what we're seeing, the tea leaves we're reading, and what I'm being told, it just seems like the Mariners have seen the sort of contracts in the bidding war that's involved with Otani, and they don't. (laughs) They they showed up uh, trying to build a Ferrari with funds for a Honda. It just it's not gonna work. Uh, I would be really glad to be proven wrong. Uh, It just doesn't seem like that's how things are going. You know, I'm trying to stay as present in reality as i am my my hopes and beliefs in what this team's offseason plan is you know there are rumors that the team has been talking with the rays about a a deal involving third baseman isaac Paredes um and outfielder randy roserena i i would be more than happy with a trade like that depending on who's going to tampa bay of course um but uh it, it's doesn't seem great. It doesn't seem too great. Uh, the Mariners have taken a lot of impact players off of their roster at this current moment. Uh, they're alien- alienating a good amount of the fan base at this current point in time. Uh, and I do realize, you know, we are in the first four days of December, there's still a good amount of offseason to go. A lot of that can go into spring training as you know, we talked about at the height of the show when I got that email, um, Anytime I see a notification, I worry that there's news Um, uh, in spring training. When Adrian Suarez and Jesse Winker got traded to the Mariners, it was during spring training. So, you know, these things could happen anywhere from now to then. Um, But, you know, it's I think there's a lot of stress and anxiety waiting for that move to happen, waiting to see who's going to be on this roster, hoping and. Uh, Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're not praying that you're not putting a guy who's, you know, largely on paper, at least doesn't have it uh, at third base and um, Julio Rios. Um, So. It's tough. It's very tough, but the winter meetings are a big opportunity for Seattle to go in and bolster that lineup, add contact, not bring in guys with strikeouts. They've gotten rid of some of them, add some power, add some star power. Randy Arozarena, Julio Rodriguez, outfield. Whoever the third outfielder is, that's a ton of fun. I know those guys like each other, and have been friends with each other. Parades has some decent numbers at the third base position. He's 24 years old, so there's positivity in that. Um, You know, there are targets in free agency that I'd like to see in a Mariners uniform. How realistic that is, I don't know. Obviously, we would all love if Shohei Otani comes here. That would be the talk of the town. Uh, it would dominate the newscape around here, but. Trying, as I mentioned, to stay focused in reality while also balancing the hopes that I have for this offseason. So who knows? Maybe <laughs> by the time that we see you next week, uh, the Mariners have traded somebody else we or, or for somebody. But as I mentioned, keeping an eye on that to see if anything is taking place. But otherwise, that is it for Mariners related news. We are let's see where we're at towards when pitchers and catchers pitchers and catcher's timeline. Mm -mm -mm. I don't have that readily available, so we'll move on. Uh, The Sounders, the Sounders, as I mentioned, have announced some offseason moves, but first we'll get through what we had for them prior to today on the 28th. uh, Despite the fact that he was named as a finalist for Defender of the Year, Neymar, pardon me, completely different players uh, was not named to the MLS best 11. So one of the best defenders in your entire league, but he wasn't listed on your best starting 11. Very questionable. Uh, The Sounders, despite having multiple players nominated for respective league awards, don't get anybody on any of those lists. Uh, Seven Friday doesn't show up as a finalist for goalkeeper of the year, despite having great numbers and better numbers than some of his counterparts. uh, Yamar, Defender of the year finalist, but doesn't get it. Again, questionable. Uh, João Paulo named as a comeback player of the year finalist, but falls to... Eh, that one was a little understandable. Uh, frustrating, very frustrating, but... That was frustrating that you went home earlier than you'd like to uh, in the MLS Cup playoffs. So, moving on to the team, announced their respective team awards for 2023. Starting out with uh, Stefan Fry, who was the MVP of the team. Not only that, he was the humanitarian uh, of the team in this past year's 2023 season for the Sounders. So Steph continues to add to that Uh, his second. Consecutive and third overall Sounders team MVP. like uh, Steph's been so big. And I mean, even at this quote unquote later part of his career, uh, putting in a career best year in multiple categories, started 32 matches, uh, notably 14 clean sheets by Steph, which was just big again uh, for another year the Sounders defensively has just been so big for them and their success as the most in MLS this year, setting the club record for most shutouts in a single season, which topped his own Mark uh, from back in 2017 uh, was named captain throughout the course of this season as well. Uh, He, as a, touching on the humanitarian part continued his efforts of charitable works in the greater area earned his fifth overall and second consecutive humanitarian of the year award after previously having done so in 18, 19, 21, and 22. Uh, he's been a player ambassador to rave foundation goals for art program, uh, consistently working with the sounders and the rave foundation, uh, to defend the right to play and support youth for, uh, from underserved communities. So really cool to see that throughout the course of, uh, the season is, you know, not only Steph's great play, but his work in the the community in this area as well. Um, defender of the year, we just talked about him a bunch. Yamar really felt snubbed. Uh, missed only one game for the Sounders throughout the course of 2023. 23, <laughs> leading the team in minutes played. He was a finalist for defender of the year in the MLS, leading the league in interceptions, 12 more than the next closest player. He helped anchor that back line that only allowed 32 goals During the regular season, which was tied for the fewest in all of Major League Soccer, while winning a 56.8 percentage of his duels and 61.8 percentage of his headed duels. It's his fourth consecutive Defender of the Year award for Neymar in the entirety of the time he's been here. So every year he's been here, he's won the Defender of the Year award Uh, on the golden boot. Jordan Morris takes home the nod for the most goals scored for the Sounders this year, leading the team with 11 in the course of the regular season. It's his second golden boot, also winning back in 2016 during his his Rookie of the Year campaign in the MLS. he also passed the 50 regular season goal mark this season, becoming the third homegrown player in MLS history to achieve that respective milestone. Uh, he also became the first player in Sounders history to score four goals in a match during a 4 1 win over Sporting KC back on March 25th. So, uh, a lot of similar history uh, with sounders fc historical team award winners back last year as i mentioned stefan fry won mvp Yamar won defender (laughs) stefan won humanitarian but golden boot did go to raul so yeah there's some some respective history as we go down the list there but just announced right as we got on the show. uh, The Sounders made it clear their respective off-season moves uh, to really kick things off as the MLS Cup playoffs continue to rage on. It's going to be LAFC versus Columbus Crew in the Cup Final being hosted by Columbus. Uh, It's a little tough thinking about Columbus and an MLS Cup considering the Sounders lost an MLS Cup to them back in 2020. So... I digress. Um, Yeah, let's look at the respective offseason moves here just briefly. We'll look into them more next week, obviously, because this kind of hits us right as we're starting here, Um, but should get this out as it's hot. Uh, The club is announcing contract options of 10 players, putting the roster at 22 contracted heading into the next season. Uh, And obviously now this sort of kicks off the rest of the respective moves for the Sounders going into their offseason and the moves that it's going to make. so Josh Atencio, Javier Arriaga, uh, Jacob Castro, Yamar, Joe Paulo, Jackson Reagan, Paul Rothrock, Albert Rusnak, Dylan Tevez, and Andrew Thomas have all had their options exercised. No real surprises there. Uh, I mean, Ariaga might end up as trade bait. It was talked about through the course of the season. He might end up in a trade somewhere. Rusnak was the one that some people were wondering about. But considering his play as the number 10 for this Seattle squad, it makes a ton of sense uh, was really productive for this Sounders team. His seven goals over the course of the season were all game winners. So happy to see that. Uh, when So this adds on, those 10 players getting their contract options exercise adds on to the 12 that were already under contract, uh, which includes Cody Baker, Reed Baker Whiting, Leo Chu, Stuart Hawkins, Sota Kitahara. Denny Leva, Jordan Morris, Denny Leva, who returned from loan uh, from the Colorado Rapids. Jordan Morris, Nuhu, Alex Rodan, Christian Rodan, Raul Roy Diaz, and Obed Vargas. Uh, interesting. Okay. So the Sounders declined the contracts of Stephen Cleveland. We'll get to that in a minute. Ethan Dobelair and Eber. Additionally, AB Sissoko, Stephen Fry, Nico Ladero, Freddie Montero, and Kellen Rowe are all out of contract. So With Cleveland, that's a little interesting. Um, Cleveland has kind of been seen as the guy who may take over as the goalkeeper of the future for the Sounders. He showed some flashes of that in 2021 uh, when he had to step in for Fry with an injury. Uh, There was a lot of talk that he would go somewhere else considering he's a starting caliber goalkeeper in this MLS, but he's been with the Sounders as a backup. I wonder if that might be the case here seeing uh, that he might go somewhere else. No new news, please. Um, nope. Okay. Um, Ladero, I mean, we've talked about it throughout the course of the last few weeks and uh, last few months as well. This one makes sense. He's probably going somewhere else. I doubt he just retires. Soko talked about wanting more minutes earlier in the season. That's not a surprising move. Double air is a little surprising, uh, but amongst sort of the youngsters on this group, it didn't hear as much as the others, and Ebert was a move that, at the time it was made last offseason, was scoffed at a little bit, and it proved to be wise. He didn't produce much. Um, Montero, Rowe, makes sense not seeing their contracts respectively uh, picked up or being out of a contract. Sorry, again, making sure nothing's happening. Uh, Steph and Fry, though, there have been reports uh, from our friends at Center at Heart that Steph has signed a deal to the 2025 season, but that hasn't been officially announced yet. I imagine that's going to be something that happens later on uh, after these this Off-season start moves have taken place, so that's happened. So I imagine that's the next domino that will fall. Uh, The Sounders reportedly already have their next designated player signing lined up. They're just waiting to announce that. So that's exciting, at least, to know that the Sounders are on the forefront. But as we've talked about throughout the course of the year, this is a very important off-season for the Sounders. They've got new branding coming up. They've got an anniversary this year. They've got their practice facility opening up down in Long Acres, and they're essentially retooling. It's on a rebuild. They've already got a lot of their core in place, but you've got to add on if you want to compete for a title in this league and you want to remain relevant in this league, which I don't doubt the Sounders will do. They're a club that's been on the top of something like that since they entered MLS. But you you want to maintain that contending spot. I don't imagine Seattle goes through a rebuild. It's more of a retooling. So... That is that for the Sounders and those respective moves. Again, I'm very worried that something else is going to happen while we're here, but we move on to our Kraken, who I talk about consistency. I talked earlier with the Seahawks about self-inflicted. That's been the case here for our Kraken. Uh, we'll go over the past week uh with the games here. Starting in Chicago, November 28th, uh, the Kraken lost at the Chicago Blackhawks by a score of three to four. This one was a really sloppy one. <sighs> two of the goals that Seattle allowed were just really bad defensive blunders out of out of their respective positions, just giving things up to a Chicago team that's largely struggled and is in a rebuild. I just talked about a rebuild. <laughs> um, two of those goals, not great. Philip Grubauer probably should have had those. He's coming off of an injury there. You wonder maybe he's not, fully back from that injury, but still regardless, you've got to be better defensively in front of him and you've got to be better on the offensive end of things. So a frustrating one there to lose to that Chicago team. Our player of the game Ford Maddie Bennear is one of the better games for Maddie, uh, at least statistically. And with the underlying numbers, one goal, one assist, two points, four shots, a one plus minus one block and one hit on the day for the winning, reigning Calder trophy uh, award winner. Following that, uh, that first game of that road trip, the team would head out to Toronto to battle the Maple Leafs, one of the deeper teams, well, not necessarily deeper, but one of the more talented, star-studded teams in all of the National Hockey League with Austin Matthews, with William Nylander. Um, Seattle put up a good fight. They did go down by a two-goal deficit into that third period. They would storm back uh, and force overtime. With Toronto, they got some great, great looks in overtime, but did not put them away against Maple Leafs goaltender Joseph Wool and would go to the shootout. And if you've been following this team at all, either this season or the last two seasons, you know that they have struggled heavily in the shootout, only winning one shootout over the course of the past two seasons. And that would continue here uh, as neither of the players that were sent out in the shootout were able to score for seattle in this one um and mitch marner who scored a hat trick for toronto would add a fourth goal in the shootout uh and give his team the lead so basically it was mitch marner versus the seattle kraken and the kraken lost um our player of the game for jared mccann two goals two points and four shots on the day jared mccann nice contribution here uh, his first goal of the game uh was seattle's first it's a power play goal got him coming downhill and really was able to unleash uh his, his his wicked one-timer and get that goal there his second goal tied things up and really helped put an emphatic stamp on this game for seattle really had them moving uh the right way momentum momentum wise uh but ultimately could not finish off the deal It's also a little bit funny considering that Toronto uh, was the team that left Jared McCann exposed in the expansion draft leading to the Kraken signing him there. Uh, So you lose the first two games of the road trip, both of them close, both of them by a score of three to four. And you go into a game against the Ottawa senators. That seems winnable. Ottawa has struggled as of late. Uh, Goaltender Anton Forsberg has struggled this course of this season. Uh, And, Ottawa shuts up Seattle. A score a two to nothing. Uh, Seattle didn't necessarily play bad defensively in this game. It was just two mistakes that gave up goals. The first one being Maddie Beniers fell over with the puck right near the goal. And. Uh, a senators player was right there on the spot to pick up the puck. And considering that he was right in front of the goal, make a move and get by Joey DeCord. And then the, the second one a little bit later, Joey DeCord went to play a puck behind the goal. Uh, was unable to really get it out. There was some miscommunication between him and his defensemen as Joey wanted one of his defensemen to come and play the puck. The defenseman thought he was going to play it up the ice. Uh, Ottawa jumps on it. Uh was able to get the pass up to the middle of the slot Decor does get back to his goal but there is a senators player back door who's able to get a pass from that high slot when well, that middle slot pardon me uh, and shoot on a, basically a wide open net for that second goal Seattle struggles offensively they did have some spurts in this game but ultimately spurts don't don't put goals on the board uh, results do and Seattle gets shut out so as you know with shutouts we don't do a player of the game. It's, it's like the Mariners offseason. It's coming to a point where I don't know. You know, uh, The Kraken were doing a lot of good throughout the course of the season leading into this, this four-game road trip um, with that game in Chicago and then those next three all in Canada. Um, it's just always one step forward and two steps back with this team. I was saying two steps forward and one step back because the Kraken, a lot of their game has largely been good. This Senators game is a good example of that. Defensively, you didn't look bad. Excuse me. You didn't look bad defensively. You generated some decent decent numbers on the offensive side of things. Decent, but could have been better. I know that. Um, But because of some silly mistakes that you gave up, the Senators get two goals, and that's the difference. You couldn't put up two goals to answer them you gave them those two goals you gifted them a win essentially um so it's starting to come to a point where you're wondering does something need to change and for a while a lot of the fan bases said there needs to be some big change whether it's a coaching change or it's a trade uh signing some guy off the free agency list and i pushed back on that a little bit i thought hey they're doing a lot of good they're just not getting the luck and the advanced numbers expected goals above average Seem to prove that, seem to suggest that, seem to support that for this cracking team. Uh, but the underlying numbers won't result in two points ultimately all the time. And Seattle's getting to that that point where it's like, hey, are you just are you gonna be able to survive on the loser point from overtime and find your way into the playoffs? I mean, hypothetically you could potentially, but the struggle to string wins together, to find that form, to find a full 60 minute hockey game, to find the relentless effort that you showed that the course of the last season that made you so dangerous to anybody in the league, including, you know, beating Toronto in their home building last year on that amazing road trip, shutting out the Boston Bruins um, in the middle of their record breaking season in their home building, you know, going into those buildings, uh, beating these great teams in the National Hockey League. Came off that effort, that drive, that layer after layer of forward line and defenseman pairing. Um, and I, I push back in the idea that it's because you lost that fourth line of Geeky Donato and Sprong. I push back on that because we've seen what this team can do offensively throughout the course of this year in spurts. It's just it's been more of an effort thing, which is as I talked about earlier in the show. If it's effort and discipline that are hurting you, it's more frustrating than anything because this team has talent on it. Don't get me wrong. It has talent, but it's effort that continues to fail them throughout the course of this season. Um, And that's something that they control. They can control. Uh, I don't know when it gets to the point where extremes come into play. Considering the injuries that you've had, which we'll get to in a minute, throughout the course of the year. There's some patience, I guess, uh, but with the way that you've struggled this year so far and the fact that you're struggling, even with such a weak West, such a weak Pacific division, just adds more frustration onto the pile that is at this current point in time. So as I mentioned with news, no news, please. Thank you. As I mentioned with... Uh, Talks of injuries, Uh, thankfully, Andre Burakovsky is not in a red non-contact jersey this morning for morning skate, as the team does play tonight in Montreal, Um, but we've got other news. So, on the 28th, Jaden Schwartz left the game late into that, that contest against Chicago with a lower body injury it was designated at that current time from kraken pr did not return to the game he was almost immediately listed as not returning to the game uh that morning Andre burakovsky was seen skating in the red non-contact jersey with the team but obviously more of the attention is paid on schwartz on the 30th the team officially placed jaden schwartz on uh, injured reserve He is expected to miss approximately six weeks with an upper body injury, which is interesting because the replay that was shown in the loss of Chicago saw Schwartz in the, uh, in front of the Kraken bench playing a puck off of his skate, just kind of to control it. uh, And then kind of saw him wincing and then, Oh, okay. Thank God there's that's news, but it's not necessarily urgent. See, I told you things happen during our show. (laughs) Um, He took a puck off the skate and started to wince and kind of bent over and immediately went down the tunnel. So you would have thought maybe it was a lower body injury, but the official designation from the Kraken said upper body injury, six weeks. So that will mean that Schwartz will be missing the winter classic. Unfortunately, some Seattle's best contributor on the power play and a big reason for their, uh, whatever success they've had this uh, season on the offensive side of things. And you lose a leader, lose a veteran leader. So that's a, it's a very tough loss for the Kraken. um. And there were respective roster moves with it. Uh, The day that he left, the team had recalled forward Marian Sudanich from the AHL Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, over the course of 15 games with CV, uh, Sudanich had scored six goals, tallied fifth assist, five assists for a total of 11 points, a three plus minus, and only four penalty minutes. So he's a disciplined fella. Um, and then on December 1st, uh, the day after Schwartz was placed on injury reserve, uh, the team recalled forward Max McCormick from the HL Coachella Valley Firebirds. And as a result, forward Andrew Podorowski was reassigned to the HL Coachella Valley Firebirds. The McCormick moves a little bit interesting, uh, bringing him up for where Schwartz. It seems like the Kraken weren't necessarily too impressed by what they got from Podorowski in his time up with the Kraken, which is... A little disappointing. I mean, excuse me, after his last stint with the team just a week ago, there was hope. Excuse me again, that podorowski would be able to get into a game. He did so. He's got some offensive touch um, <laughs> in his game, but wasn't able to display too much of it, obviously being on the fourth line. So McCormick. In 16 games with the Firebirds so far this season, he's also the captain of the Firebirds. Uh, tallied eight goals uh, and nine assists for a team leading 17 points, a three plus minus, and 11 penalty minutes, including two power play goals. Um, what is that? Uh, he his eight goals is also tied for the league, the team lead, and his assists at nine are third on the team. So, McCormick has been involved in a game with the Kraken, albeit during the inaugural season, which feels like so long ago. Um, It's interesting. He was in line rushes with the team this morning, so he overtakes Stude spot. It'll be interesting to see if he gets into the game tonight, considering that he was in line rushes, I would imagine so. Uh, We also have some updates on notes for the Winter Classic. Uh, The rink will begin to be built on December 18th at T-Mobile Park. And there will be a two-day fan festival labeled the nhl fan village uh that will take place from the 31st of december to the day the winter classic takes place on january 1st at the north parking lot of lumen field uh that north parking lot also saw some of the mlb Playball park festivities from the mlb's past all-star week uh earlier this year um Again, making sure nothing else is happening. So cool to get more Winter Classic news and updates on what's going to take place over the course of the week because that Winter Classic, obviously the game is one thing, but there's different events throughout the course of the week, uh, including practices uh, and such that will take place there uh, when that ice gets built. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough slate right now for the Kraken. I mean, as I've said, you're looking for consistency, you're looking for a consistent effort, you're looking for a 60-minute hockey game. And we've been talking about that basically since the year began, which isn't good. So the the Kraken currently sit at an 8-win, 11-loss, 6-overtime loss record, which is good for 5th in the Pacific Division at 22 points. The next game is tonight, December 4th, at the Montreal Canadiens. That's a 4.30 p.m. puck drop. That game uh, is on Root Sports. It's the final game of a four-game road trip. Montreal does have some some talent on their roster. They have been better this season than they have in the last few years. Uh, Seattle needs a win. They're on a four-game losing streak. They need to turn things around, uh, and they'd like, uh, more than likely, uh, a uh, a happy flight home. Then, after a few days... Seattle will fly home and they will begin somewhat of a lengthy homestand uh, in the middle of the month of December, starting with their December 7th game versus the New Jersey Devils with a puck drop of 730 p.m. Pacific time. That game is on ESPN. Then following that two days later, uh, it's the first of a back to back for the Kraken Uh, The second of three games over the course of four days for Seattle, all of them at home. December 9th versus the Tampa Bay Lightning is a 7 p.m. puck drop. That game is back on Root Sports. And then the next day, Sunday, December 10th versus the Minnesota Wild is a 6 p.m. Pacific time puck drop. Uh, Obviously, that one as well is on Root Sports. So a big opportunity for Seattle. I mean, they've beaten Tampa Bay earlier. Minnesota's not gonna be an easy team to beat. They've got some talent in new jersey they've They've got a lot of talent as well. so nothing new really with the rain coming up. They do have the expansion draft two weeks from now on December twelfth um, yes. Well not two weeks, but a week from tomorrow that's the expansion draft and then a month after that the rains uh, will participate the rain will participate in the NWSL entry draft so uh, something to look forward to at least is that and then also Sunday the December tenth um, the stormer hosting their draft lottery party uh, at rough and tumble pub so With that, the Storm will pick anywhere from the first overall pick to the fourth overall pick, depending on who uh, elects to go into this year's WNBA entry draft. It could be one of the most loaded drafts talent-wise in the entire history of the WNBA, and the Storm would have a pretty good seat into that. But it depends on where their pick lands, one, and how many of those talented players will ultimately end up declaring for that draft. So... Yeah, man, uh, tough, tough past week. The Seahawks have another tough test upcoming amidst that really brutal four-game stretch for them this upcoming week against the 49ers on the road. Uh, the Mariners, it's the winter meetings that's going to take place this week. We will very likely see at least a signing. Uh, the Rule 5 draft is also coming up. Expect the Mariners to make a move there. Uh, and there could be a trade by the time that we see next week. Randy or Rosarena could be a Mariner by next week. I know that would make uh, my guy Big O happy uh if it happens we got to get there making sure nothing no news will drop right as we're getting off the air so we'll see um the storm obviously they will find out where they sit in the lottery uh after sunday so we'll have that for you by the course of next week and maybe we'll look at some mock drafts and stuff like that but obviously again it depends on who's going to ultimately declare for that draft the sounders we will likely see some more mock roster moves and we'll look into that Uh, The moves that we saw today more closely next week, the Kraken have have four games this upcoming week, including a game tonight. By the time that you are seeing this, that game will probably be taking place or at least close to puck drop. Uh, And then three good teams in the National Hockey League. The rain don't really have much going on until next Tuesday. Uh, And then the Seawolves and just about everybody else, relatively quiet until then. So until we see you next week, Still in the month of December, it's very rainy today. Be safe out there, you know, with with the rain. Uh, Seattle sometimes forgets how to drive in the rain. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Do whatever you can to make today a great day. And hopefully, these teams, their successes and their failures, uh, don't weigh too much on you. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you then.